Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Pastor Andrew bringing God's Word, our lead ministry pastor, as we come to continue our series in James. Would you make Andrew feel really welcome as he comes to share with us now? Very good. Well, welcome everyone. It's great to be with you. For those online as well, uh, great to be able to share with you as we continue in this series in James. Uh, it was a, a few months ago now, I had one of my backyard across the fence conversations with my neighbour Akram. Um, speaking to Akram and he brought up the, his need, he said, um, you wouldn't know anyone who would know how to deal with termites. I'm like, oh um, yeah, I do and I passed on a number and then thought I might just ask a few questions here just to see what the situation is. And uh, he'd had a tradesman come by more recently in the, his backyard, maybe in the fence or a stump at the back. Um, he had had termites and he was pretty keen to deal with those. Um, but what it did is it got my memory jogging and I began to think back to a comment, a conversation with Nat where she said, look at our laundry door, it's looking pretty ordinary at the moment, you don't think it's termites, do you? I thought, no, it's, it's really weathered there, it gets a lot of rain, a lot of, I think it's just, it's weathered. And uh, I thought of a stump I saw out the back, I wondered if it was termites, didn't do anything about that. Um, we bought our house five years ago, and on the report it said they have never had termite, um, never had termites, but never had it treated either. And I thought that might be a good idea to check and and actually treat for termites, but it was just a good idea. Didn't go any further than that. And so when Akram mentioned this, all of a sudden I started getting these thoughts and concerns. I wonder what. Well, could we? We could easily have termites. I don't know. I've got no idea. And. So, um, I did get that sorted, and I did see someone. And the good news is, I don't have termites. You're feeling good about this? It's not, it's not what you I hope it's not what you want. You didn't want some drama in my life, I hope. Um, but I don't have termites. But I tell you this story because there are times in our life that we would rather hear the bad news than be ignorant of the bad news and get a shock later on. I did not want to be shocked with the tens of thousands or um, some type of bill to fix the house with termites. I wanted to know what the situation was. And this morning we look in a passage in James where he is, like we've known throughout James, James is fairly straight, James is fairly practical, and he often doesn't hold back. But I would say in the book of James this um, is probably one of his hardest-hitting, straightest messages of news. But as I said, I feel that we need to be people who are like, okay, if there's bad news, if there's a situation, I want to hear it, I want to know it, I want to respond to it. And so today, it's a pretty hard-hitting message. Can I just get that out there? Um, I didn't have a choice of who was preaching this. That was my senior pastor who gave us this passage <laughs> I found out it was his birthday today. I thought, well, that's a pretty good reason not to want to preach about money and uh, James. But yeah, congratulations, Nathan. We're very thankful for Nathan and pray a real blessing on you today. We can share in your birthday today, being a Sunday. But this message is, is fairly hard-hitting, just warning you out there. Um, and let's have a look at it. You can see James is, is fairly straight. Let's read it now. James 5, 1 to 6. Now listen, 
you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Full on, <laughs> it's pretty intense. I, I kept wanting to read more, like where's the good news gonna come? But this is what we've got today, so let's work with it. Uh, the first thing we'll notice, it says, now listen. Now listen. Um, this, this is a warning. James is, is, is wanting to get the attention of the people. He's wanting to get our attention. Listen, alarm bells are ringing. Who is the warning aimed at? Now listen, you rich people. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, um, but just to say we live in one of the richest, most wealthy economies and countries in this world, don't we? We would admit that. Um, I know we can easily compare ourselves to others and, and we might not feel rich, but as I read this this week, um, I am... and. Maybe you are someone's Bill Gates. Um, the, the person that might be living somewhere in the world on less than a dollar a day, then I, when they look at my income, would say, well, you're like Bill Gates to me. Um, we are wealthy um, people in this country. And as we look at this passage this morning, I, I just want to encourage each one of us to not discount the fact that this message does not apply to us. Actually, as I read it and as I think about it, um, I feel this is a critical message for us because we do live in a very wealthy country, because we do live in a materialistic country. And because the, the warning that James gives here is so straight and full on, I think it's, it's the very least I could do is to say, well, Lord, um, is this me? Are you speaking to me? And that's a, the posture I encourage us to, to hear. Let, let's... In terms of the severity of the, what he says, it's quite graphic. He says, misery is coming. Your wealth, it's, it's rotting, it's corroding, and it's going to testify against you. It's like this picture of a, a court of judgment. And, and, and your wealth that you've piled up that's rotting will actually be used as evidence against you. I mean, that's full on. The cries of the unpaid people that are uh, receiving injustice, not being paid, God hears of that injustice. And then this picture we, we've got there, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. I, I read that first and didn't think too much of it, but then got this picture. You've got a herd of cattle in a, in a yard, green grass, they are loving life. They are getting fat. That, it's perfect, beautiful, love it. But what they don't know is they're on the way to the abattoirs. Can you, can you picture that? And, and, and James is saying, you're living 
to these people, rich people, you are living in luxury, you are fattening yourselves for the day of slaughter. It's a full-on um, image. And so I want to encourage us just to, to humble ourselves before this this morning and, and listen to God, what it is he might want to say to us. Now, you might be surprised because one of the first things I want to say is God does not want your money. Hear that, honestly, God does not want your money. There might be different ones here that as soon as money and church and God is mentioned, there's a resistance. I want to say God created the heavens and the earth. He does not need your money. He's not dependent on your money. And, in, and if ever the Bible has been twisted and you felt manipulated or whatever because of, of the scriptures and money and needing money and God having, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I believe God gives these messages and I'll, I'll flesh it out more because he loves us. He loves you. He cares for you. He, he, he doesn't need your money. This is not about God wanting your money. He wants your heart. He wants you to have life and life to the full and hopefully that will become more clear as we look at this passage today. And the first thing I want to say is it's not about your money, it's about your heart. Jesus spoke quite a lot about money, like in the parables, um, 11 of the 40 parables were relating to money. Um, over 2,000 scriptures uh, are about money. But Jesus never asked for money. You might remember he asked for a coin to illustrate paying of taxes, but when the scriptures talk about so much, quite a lot about money, it is not about, about whether they say giving it, it's about your heart's attitude towards it. How do you relate to money and possessions as we look at the scriptures? Why does the scriptures talk so much about this? Well, the reality is money is powerful. It's influential. Um, let me explain it this way. Fire, is fire good or bad? Well, you would say it's neutral. Is money good or bad? You would say it's neutral. But fire used in the appropriate way, a good way, with the right boundaries around it, it can be such a blessing, it can be such a help. You can heat yourself, you can cook with using fire, all sorts of things. But uncontained and in the wrong place, fire is destructive. Fire can be damaging. And the reason the scriptures and we get these messages is um, money is powerful, but it needs to be used or we need to relate to money in the appropriate way that it would be a blessing to us and to others and not damaging and destruction, destructive to our lives and the lives of others. Money is even spoken of in the scriptures as, uh, as a trap, as um, being dangerous. Let's have a look at Proverbs 23, four to five. It says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not work really hard and wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Be careful about chasing after it. It's elusive and don't trust it. First uh, Timothy 6, 9 to 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin 
and destruction. See, it's not about, what do you say, giving money. It's a warning to say, be careful how money relates in your life because there is, um, it does have a tendency for harm, for ruin and destruction. He goes on to say, for the love of money, not money itself, the love and the connection with money is a root for all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you see it, see it there? That as, as the scriptures speak about money, it's more a warning to how we relate now. Our hearts relate to money because there is an allure. There is a, an allure in, in money and possessions and it promises us many things, whether that be significance or self-worth or if you have this, it'll be finally, you'll have your peace or your joy. But it's deceptive. Money is deceptive. Soren Kierkegaard said, riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against anxieties and they become the object of anxiety. They secure a man against anxiety just about as well as the wolf which is put to tend the sheep. You see that money comes like dressed it's as a wolf dressed in sheep's clothes, promising lots, but delivering little and actually more trouble than it can be worth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, earthly goods deceive the human heart into believing that they give it security and freedom from worry, but in truth they are what causes anxiety. I, I read these and I thought, interesting that we live in one of the most wealthy countries, but we are very anxious in many senses. And so James's warning in this passage, let me again just reiterate, it is for our own good. It's for our own good. And he, the first thing he says here is to stop hoarding. Stop hoarding. In verse 2 it says, you know, um, your wealth will rot, moths will eat it, and it will rust. The three um, forms of wealth in that time, uh, grain and food, if you store it, it's going to rot. Um, secondly, clothes. Most people just had one pair of clothes at that time. And if you, you get lots of um, clothes, he's saying it's just going to rot. And silver and gold, um, it'll rust, corrode. And then in verse 5, he says, You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself for the day of judgment. They're hard things to hear. and I want us to process them here today. And firstly, again, I say money is neutral. What this is talking about is self, like self-indulgence. It's, it's all for me. It's actually a, a message about um, greed, greed. Uh, I love Andy Stanley's definition of greed. He says, greed is the assumption that everything that comes to us or comes to me is for my consumption. So he's saying greed is when, when, when all that we have and all that we are given, when we begin to think that that's all for me, that's greed. When it's all spent on me, that's greed, he says. If it's mine, it's for me. That, that's greed. And that's what he's speaking out again here. And Jesus says it himself. He says, watch out, be on your guard. Again, this warning against all kinds of greed. Why? Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Do you want life? Do you want fullness of life? Well, it's not going to come through an abundance of possessions, Jesus says. So be careful 
of greed. Now, Jesus' warning and, and James' warning about greed is similar to my neighbour's warning about termites in two different ways. One is um, we want to know about it. If, if we're greedy, if there's a problem here, we want to know about it. I was thankful for, for Akram's suggestion. But the second thing is termites are super hidden. You, you have no idea what's going on in the, the middle of your house if you've got termites. And similarly... I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Have you ever thought how hidden or hard to detect greed is? I, I, I want to even just give us all the, the, the question today. Like, am I greedy? Well, how do you determine that? Um, and that's a question I want us to ask. But let me just show us um, how hidden it can be. If I have a problem with anger, right? I, I'm, I'm just angry. And at work or wherever it is, I become angry at my colleague and I lash out, I can see that anger. It's visible. My colleague can see that anger. uh, anger. Others around it can see that anger and they would say, and I would have to admit, I have a problem with anger. Lesser so, let's say stealing. If I'm stealing from um, my boss, for instance, like that might be a bit more hidden that I'm just doing something um, quietly under the books. He might not know, at least... At first, often these things rise to the surface. He won't know at first, but I know. I know that I'm doing the wrong thing by stealing. I'm very aware of that. But greed is different. Greed is different. I was reading through the week that a pastor said in, in all of his experience as a pastor, he had never had someone come to confess that they had a problem with greed. Isn't that interesting? He was in America, um, we're in Australia, a wealthy place, but no one has ever come to him. He said, um, I've had people come and confess sexual sin, anger, fraud, all kinds of sin, but never the sin of greed. And I reflected on my own experience. I've never had anyone come to me and, and say, I'm really struggling with greed. I took it a step further and thought of my own life and I thought, actually, I've gone to lots of people at various stages in my life to confess sin and ask for prayer and help in lots of things, but I've never gone to anyone and said, do you know what? As a student, I didn't have much money. But now, with networking and myself working, we are getting more income come through our bank accounts than ever before. And I'm finding it hard. I'm finding that I get connected to the things of this world because I have the ability to buy these things now and I'm afraid that I'm greedy. I spend too much time checking my bank balance. I check the stock exchange. I spend too much time on realestate.com. I've never gone to someone to say, I really struggle with greed. I know that Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is our heart ever connected to the things of this world? And if it does, we need to... Confess that. The, 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 the other reason that it's really hard to see is you don't know what comes into my bank account and you don't know how it goes out. You can't tell. I could be given 99% of it away 
I could be given 0%. No one knows. It's between you and God, me and God. It's something that is in that sense hidden. So it's hidden in that sense, but the other thing we realise about greed is that it's really blinding. Let me explain it this way. Um, The Fidelity Group, an investment, world investment company, surveyed 1,000 millionaires. Now, just to clarify, these were people that had $1 million or cash ready to invest. So it doesn't include their house, their cars, other possessions. They had millions of dollars, $1 million ready to invest. So they're probably multi-millionaires. And as they surveyed them, they asked the question, how many feel or would say they are wealthy? And 42% of those millionaires didn't feel that they were wealthy. So multi-millionaires, but 42%, that's a a large percentage of them, didn't feel that they were wealthy. Now, I don't tell you that story this morning for us to point and say, how could they not see they are wealthy? That's crazy. Surely they should see. I share that story because the same principles that are blinding them to their wealth are at work in my life and they're at work in your life. Maybe that multimillionaire once drove in a second-hand car, and they thought to themselves, I can't wait till I can afford a new car. They got a new car, and then they saw another type of car that they really liked, and said, well, now I can afford that car. And on it goes, and this is the the messaging of the world. And I, I want to be really honest, there's no condemnation here from me or from anyone. There's no condemnation. What I want to um, sort of communicate here is how hard in our materialistic world is it to see our own greed at times. In our world today, we are all seeing up to 360 advertisements in some form which are directly aimed at making us feel disconnect, discontent. To say, you need this, you need the newer one, the bigger one, the better one. You and I are being bombarded with these messages day by day. I, I, I say that just to say this is a struggle for us. This is why this word is so good for us, is because this is the society we live in. If I have a friend in the middle of the Saharan um, desert in Tazruk, he is not longing for the, the best car because he's not seeing the ads. He's not being bombarded with all of these ads. He might have some other thing that he longs for or might have greed, but, but his heart is not becoming connected to these things because he's not being bombarded with the messages. Do you, do you see? I did a little bit of an inventory of my own thinking and interactions with some of these ads throughout the week. And I think it's a good thing for us to do because it's amazing um, what all this advertisement does within our heart. I remember watching a show and it just had this amazing mansion and all of a sudden I was like, wow, isn't that like a nice glass staircase there? That's incredible. Like, and it was just a TV show, but in my heart it was like, you know, a connection. I reflected, I bought the Saturday paper last week and some of you will know that in the Saturday paper they always have a real estate section. 
And as you open that up, there's always the, uh, whether you say the pin-up house for the weekend or whatever it is. And I want to tell you, it's, it's never a two-bedroom brick townhouse. It, it just never is. <laughs> waiting, waiting for the day, it might be, but it's never. The, the one that is the pin-up house for the, for the week is the one with the, the water views, it's the one with the, the expansive living areas, with the, the beautiful fittings and fixtures, and, and it's just immaculate and amazing, and it probably costs $3 million or more. Now, as I read that, oh, it's not like I'm doing the figures and wondering, I wonder if I could afford that. It's not true. <laughs> That's not my story. But what it does is, as I look at that, Anyone with a house that's less than $3 million and doesn't have that is tempted to be discontent with what they have. Wouldn't it be awesome if I had some views like that? That'd be nice. Um, Those fittings and fixtures in that, that kitchen, that would be nice. And these things, again, they are neutral. But what I'm saying is within our Society, there are a lot of things that are wanting to get the, our heart's attention and attachment to find either fulfillment or peace or joy in these things. And these messages are coming all the time to us. It's promising that, that we would find significance and security in these things. And, and the scriptures will say that it is a trap. It, it's a trap. In a sense, um, money is neutral, but longing after these things and looking for these things to do something for us that they were never created to, to do will never satisfy, and it becomes a treadmill. So that's the first thing just to raise there. The second thing is um, we are to bless and not to oppress. In, in verse 4, it speaks of unpaid wages crying out that God hears the injustice of the way that the the workers were treated, that they're not paid their wages. As we look at that, it's the the love and connection of money um, for someone to not pay those wages. To to describe it, the the person who doesn't pay wages fairly is the person that is feeling that this money is more important to them than that person. Um, Possessions over the, the person. And I immediately thought of moments in my life in, in Thailand. I remember in Thailand, I don't know if you've had an experience like this, where you're in markets and you're probably buying a shirt or some sort of ornament or something to take home and you end up in this bargaining situation. I don't know. I think my pride rises up more than anything just to win the bargain. But as you do that, I did that and you're bargaining for this thing. And then in the end, I'm, I, I just bought it and realised, actually, I was bargaining over 20 cents. <laughs> Look, how, how, how crazy, how silly is that? But it's, it's, it's not um, thinking of the other person. I don't know the situation of that person, but I can tell you I had plenty of money to be able to bless that person rather than to keep it for, my, for myself. I remember the first time in, in our household um, when one of our, our children or a couple of our children were fighting over a, a toy and one of them might have lashed out. And I remember Nat going to talk in this, this situation and she said, boys, you have to realise people are more important than possessions. Teaching them, you know, like, you're angry about this, you want this. 
People are more important than possessions. And that's what James is saying here. In our dealings with our money, in our dealings with people, whether it be in business or whatever it might be, people, relationships are more important than possessions and money. And I was talking to you about just doing an inventory of my thoughts and messages as I prepared this throughout the week. And one of the things I, I did this week was meet up with Sandra Perry, who is about to go back to Cambodia. Many of you know she has a ministry over in Cambodia with the, the poor in the, the slums over there in Cambodia and also in the prison. And I got to catch up with her it's very soon. She's going to go back for a little while and to Cambodia, it's opening up a little bit, but she started to share a few stories about the people she's working with in the villages, and she, gave, she showed me two videos. And the first video um, was just this, um, maybe a 70-year-old lady who just was so thankful, uh, with such gratitude, shared this message of thanks for the, the bag of rice that Sandra had organised for her. And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how much that rice cost, maybe $5, I, don't, I wouldn't know. But, but she was so thankful, this, this lady that lived in this village who had very, very little, she was so thankful. And I thought, oh, that's the messages that I need to hear. Not 360 messages of what I don't have and what I don't need, but ways that I can simply bless other people very simply if I think outside of myself to bless others. I read some stories about what's happening in Ukraine and the Smethurst ministry over there and how as they're rescuing people out of Ukraine, um, many of them are coming to faith because as I see it, things change. If you, you were sitting in Ukraine, um, priorities soon change. Um, I can't forget that, that picture that the Bible Society gave of the man who had come for help and um, the Bible Society had given him a Bible and given him some bread and food to eat. And this man had never read the Bible before. He wasn't a churchgoer. And he said, you've just given me some bread and God's word. Um, I think it's God's word that's most important right now. And I thought, isn't it interesting how perspective changes? He's probably wrestling with death. Uh, he's wrestling um, with losing all of his possessions. And it narrows in and shows him what is important at that time, and, and to him, it was the scriptures, it was God, it was God's love. Streetlight, I got an email this week, and Streetlight were, were loving this family just in their own communities, mum and, and daughters who were living uh, in a car. That, that's their circumstance at the moment. They're able to give um, gift cards and hampers and meals. And I want to say, we, we are blessed as a generous church. I mean, it was over $108,000 giving given to Ukraine, uh, there's hampers, hundreds of hampers given, and it's incredible to be able to do this. And this is the heart of God that we want to have, to be generous and to be giving out because a very simple gift that's, that's maybe not even so costly to us can make such a blessing to other people. And, and I'm convinced that no one in here is thinking, actually, I really enjoy being greedy. Like none of us are like that. We all long, we long to be generous. I, I, I truly believe that. We long to make a difference in this world to those where we can. But what it takes is a freedom from the connection to the things of this world and the messages that we are bombarded with day by day. And so how do we have 
that freedom. Where do we get that freedom from to not be attached to the things of this world, but to live with eternity in mind? And the things that we have are not necessarily mine. They are mine. I'm steward of them to bless others. This comes off the back. If you remember, the previous message was, um, don't just say, I'm going to do this and that. Say, if the Lord wills, you will do that. And then he's going on in this passage and he's saying, actually, don't just grab your money and think, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. We are to be stewards of the money that God gives us to bless others. And we have a, a profound um, impact, or we have a profound impact as we do that as some of the richest people in this world. So how does that happen? Well, I've got there that the first thing that we need to do is to have heart surgery. Let me just look at verse 6. It says, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Now, commentators look at this verse and there's two distinct uh, ways to interpret it. Um, one way is to say um, you have actually murdered those that are poor. Um, the other one, which Tim Keller uh, speaks of, is he said there's two problems with that, is that the poor person in this is a righteous man. It's singular. It's not you have killed the poor, plural. It's um, a righteous man. And he secondly says, it says clearly in the Greek, the one who does not oppose you, like voluntarily does not oppose you. It's not um, that they couldn't oppose you. It's voluntarily doesn't oppose. And Tim Keller is saying in this here that, that you um, are connected to stuff, living in luxury. You are treating people unkindly and unfairly in this instance because you have forgotten Jesus who has come and died for you. You, you have, have been part of condemning and murdering the righteous one. And at, at the forefront, the, the beginning of heart surgery is recognising that the heart of God is a generous heart to give his son for us to hold nothing back that we could live with the riches of, of Christ in our lives and in our hearts through that. And as we know, the work of Jesus in our heart, it changes everything. It changes everything as we fix our eyes on him and who he is and what he's done for us. There is no longer that heart's desire to find um, significance in the things we own. There's no longer an ache or a longing to be attached to the things of this world. Actually, as Christians who have been saved out of this world for eternity, we should be the least connected to the things of this world because we know it's all going to pass away. And as Jesus says, you can build up treasures in heaven. He's saying, as you remember that, as you know that there's firstly no condemnation in Jesus. And I say that with respect to this message, there's no condemnation. This is, this is hard for us all to live in. But in Jesus, we find forgiveness and grace. We are filled by his love, which, which allows us to not long for the things of the world. We don't need to look for worth significance, eternal security, we are all filled. And as I thought of that, I thought bringing our hearts to him, being filled by him, we can trust him. It's about trust, to trust God to provide for our every need. I love that, that passage in Matthew where it says, um, God feeds the birds of the air. 
God clothes the flowers of the field, and if he clothes and feeds them, aren't you much more valuable? He's saying, don't worry about all these things. Trust him, and he will care for you. He will provide for you. That we can live generously, that we can even risk. I, I thought to myself, what would be the worst? What would be the worst if I got super emotional and gave lots of money away? What would be the worst thing that would happen to me? Like, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'd have to downsize a car or something. I don't know, but I tell you, look, God has looked after me so well, and it's actually a privilege to risk and to generously give and build up treasure in heaven and not on earth. And as we conclude today, I just want to pray for us, but I was just thinking just for, the, for today, just the first thing to do is just ask the question. This is, there's no judgment here. No one, no one knows um, anyone's finances and what happens, and we don't need to know. The only thing I need to know is to be responsible for the finance that God has given me and to humbly ask the question, God, um, is there greed in my life? Um, Lord, can you help me? Um, can, can you help me be more generous? That, that's just a question for me to stop and to, to humble myself before God. Maybe look at my bank statements and look where my money's going and say, God, can I, can I do that? Can I be more generous? Am I greedy at all? The second thing, um, just in a practical sense, just outside in the foyer, you'll see a great resource called Time, Talent and Treasure put together by some men in our church which will practically walk you through what the Bible says and budgeting and some helpful um, information. Go and grab one of those. It's a free book there and they'll do a seminar soon if you also just put your name down and if you're interested in that as well. But the response in terms that James is asking for here is, he says, uh, weep and wail. He's He's just saying repent, turn, turn away from the things of this world, if there is an unhealthy connection, just humble yourself and turn to Jesus because it's that step that brings the refreshment of God in our hearts to be able to be more generous. Would you pray with me here this morning? Lord, I want to thank you that first all things that come from you are out of a heart for love. Um, That, Lord, you, you love us and, Lord, you want us to have life to the full. And Lord, we recognise um, it's a challenge, Lord. Just, it's a challenge to live in a society that we live, which is so wealthy, um, so many messages, Lord, but we don't want to be attached to the things of this world. Lord, we need wisdom. We really need wisdom to know, Lord, what's your way in this? Lord, there's tension in our life as we think of even debt and things we need to pay, Lord. Um, And I just want to pray for each one of us, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would give wisdom. But Lord, would you help us to be generous people? We recognise the the power that's invested in us with, with our wealth and the difference that it can make in so many places, in so many people's lives, Lord. And, and we want to be a church that continues to look outward to others, to bless others, whether it be our neighbour or those overseas, whether it's a small gift or large gift. Lord, this is, this is your heart and this is where we will find life. I was so inspired thinking of Sandra's life, Lord, one invested in the poor, loving the poor, helping the poor. Lord, that's inspiring. And so, Lord, help us to live this way, guide us, we pray. 
that, Father God, we would have the joy, better to give than receive, Lord, and that, Father, many people will be blessed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to just conclude in worshipping. It speaks of the heart of God, that we would carry God's heart into this world. So let's worship together. Let's stand.
our deepest desire is to know God's heart, that His heart would be our heart. And this word this morning comes to us because He loves us so much and He doesn't want us to be held captive by the things of this world. So often these things end up owning us and stressing us. Instead, God says to us, I want you to have open hands. The one who gives us all good gifts, He says, I want you to have open hands to remember First and foremost, He is the one who can give us all we need. So often, we, this message that comes at us again and again, as Andrew shared, that we can get captive by that. Instead, God says, my love is better than life. I am all that you need, all that you need. And we want to reflect His heart of generosity. We need His help in this. We do. We need God's help. So will you join with me now? I want to pray and ask God to help each one of us this week as we seek to follow and obey God's Word to us. Let me pray. Lord God, we say thank You for Your Word because it's Your truth that sets us free, Lord. And You long for us to know the fullness of of the joy and blessing and freedom that comes from understanding these truths, Lord. Living open-handedly, understanding that everything we have is Yours in the first place. That, Lord, You long for us to have generous hearts as Your heart is just being so generous towards us, Lord. And I know that through this, Lord, as we seek to respond in a a faith and obedience, Lord, You want to pour out blessing upon us. That's what You want. You want us to know a joy, a deep inner joy and peace and assurance, Lord, that we can only know if we will surrender, let go of these things, the things of this world, and we look to You, Lord. And so help us in this, I pray. Help us in the little decisions, the little things, the things you're prompting us to, Lord, just to to put in place this week, whatever that looks like in different circumstances. But Lord, we want to look to you and trust you. And through that, Lord, we know that you're going to release so much joy within our hearts. What a joy to know we can trust you completely. And so Lord, help us in this. And may you continue to help us as your people corporately. Increasing generosity, we pray, giving away more and more to bless others, we ask, knowing this is your heart, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. So help us, we pray this week, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer in some way, our prayer team will be down the front here. They'd love to pray for you today. Maybe there's a particular situation or circumstance that came to your mind or a particular prompting. They'd love to pray for you. If you're online, same. Just reach out through prayerabridgement.org.au. We'd love to pray for you there as well. Don't forget our Connections Lounge here, tea and coffee in the courtyard. God bless you. We have a baptism tonight at 6pm as well. You'd be so welcome to link in and join with us there as well. God bless.